0: All right. Hey, good day, everyone. And College Flyball Weekly crew, the men's top 20. It's back. Oh, not top 20. It's a top 15. I'm crossing the net with another show. But hey, uh, on screen, Brad Ross, of UC San Diego, Dan Friend of Lewis and Theo Edwards of CSUN and missing this week, Jay Hasek, who's doing important NCAA business. But we know we're going to have a chat with him a little bit later today. Great day, gentlemen. Thanks for coming back on board. We have so much to talk about today because between tournaments, players, news, selection show, and other drama, not drama, but just good topics to discuss. But uh, let's start off with uh, our tournament action. I'm just to do a quick run through of our non-birth uh, conferences, IVA winner, Lincoln Memorial. I mean, they were strong all year. Uh, And then, of course, the SIAC, the second SIAC, Edward Waters, dethroned Central State after them winning the first one, uh, led by Evans Edward and Brian Pepin and uh, Kalen Ingram. And then the first ever NEC first point uh, championship tournament upset, number three, LIU, over number one, St. Francis, being led by LeVon Moreno, Caden Satterfield, and Luke Chandler. So any comments on those first three conference tournaments before we move on to our berth? conferences well, let's talk about the
1: nec so you went from damain dominating losing the last two regular seasons games and they if they beat fairly dickinson on friday they would at least share the tile Well, they lose both so they lose the regular season saint francis win it and then liu comes in and says hey we're going to win it all Do you know what i mean and <laughs> takes down uh, damon and takes down uh saint francis so uh impressive to those guys so kudos and uh congrats
0: so. I'm going to point out that that is a first-year head coach for Long Island. Uh, Kai Dukum. Dukum is that how you say it? I haven't met him, so. Uh, but man, quite a turnaround for a first-year coach. No pressure on Brad and Theo on the screen at all. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> Long Island was good. I was
2: I watched that match. And it was fun and it was good volleyball. And St. Francis was pretty darn good too. And the Fighting Rumbaugh's were were battling, and it was a, it was a good battle back and forth. Um, But just Long Island had just ball control wise was just a little steadier from the service line. And then all their pins just were were firing. Actually, their best pin all season, Luke Chandler, was had an off night and um Levon Moreno and Caden Satterfield were able to step up around him. But um the libero was good and
0: just Long Island was an impressive team to watch. Yeah. you had something to say about the uh, NEC tournament.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I was a little surprised to be honest with you. Um, I thought for sure St. Francis would would uh, would take that down, and you know, Rummy Coach of the Year. I mean, he's uh, done a fantastic job this year. And, uh, but you know, you got to tip your hat, and I think uh, I think with Long Island having a little bit less pressure and maybe maybe a little less expectations, was able to play a little bit freer and and play some good ball, man.
0: Yep, and shout out to a guest a guest on the show here. Uh, Larry rather at Fort Valley state who hosted the second SIAC tournament. So I know it's a big deal and a, a lot of pressure. And then he has to coach a team at the same time. So, um, you know, I'm just excited that that conference had that conference tournament and we'll be seeing them in with an auto birth next year. Is that correct?
1: Well, they they filed their paperwork. I think that's all stuff to come. So hopefully uh, we'll see where that ends up. And uh, you just got to kind of wait till we get to that point which we'll talk probably a little bit more about the expansion of the bracket what that looks like and when that's coming and all that stuff
0: yeah and then in regards to the nec i we we know that they've lost one team this year in st francis brooklyn but how is that going to affect anything and were there any other teams that you're aware of that could potentially be coming in because i know we briefly discussed it during another episode but um well, I still think they have
1: seven or eight teams, uh, So, I, I, but I don't know about any teams coming in, but I think they're okay. I mean, they have to wait another year before they can apply for their AQ because you have right. to have two years in an established conference. Uh, and so, but I think they're okay. I mean, ultimately you lost uh, Limestone, uh, which was uh, independent, but that's a different ramification because I think the SAC conference was possibly looking at adding men's volleyball, which is another D2 conference. So, I think there's, I don't think you're, at the end of small colleges closing, which is a whole nother topic. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> but I do think men's volleyball is continuing to trend upward and there's continuing to be growth and uh, and there's things in the works and where that heads we will have to just wait and see.
0: Yeah. Well, let's go into our, our, our birth conferences. We're going to start with a uh, conference Carolinas uh, kind of a shocker really, because NGU had been pretty much powerhouse all season. And, I'm going to go ahead and let Theo take over. King goes to a tie break (laughs) after we've been seeing it. North Greenville pretty much take control of the conference. And uh, fifth set, thriller, and go for it, Theo.
3: (laughs) All I got to say is Warren Davis. Warren Davis. So I I watched this match, and uh, Warren Davis, their outside hitter. I don't know how many swings he took. He had 29 kills, hit 290, um, 12 digs, and just, I mean – was just flying all over the place. It seemed like they couldn't find him enough transition uh, in system, out of system. Um, And, you know, he made some mistakes, got blocked here and there, but just kept applying the pressure. And um, I thought King played fantastic. Also, I think Jackson Carroll, who's the other outside uh, played pretty well and did a pretty nice job. Um, But that match was really, really exciting. And you could tell right out of the gate that North Greenville was a little surprised uh, that King was going to play at the level that they did. Obviously King had an opportunity to host that match. And so they were at home and in their venue. And it was uh man, it was an exciting matchup, really, really exciting matchup. And tip my hat to King. I thought they, I thought they did a really, really nice job. Yeah. They
1: were. And then North Greenville was up in the f- uh, fifth game, like nine, six, eight, five, right?
3: Yep. That's right. Yeah.
1: So impressive that, uh, to flip that at the end there, and that's after losing that 32 30 game because they could have won it in four.
3: Uh, oh, definitely! All
1: right, so, um, so yeah, Booer's group, nice job. So, uh, better watch out, Birch. <laughs> Another guy on King
2: Kennedy or Kellen Kennedy, the middle blocker, he was thumping some balls. He blocked two balls to finish the set. Um, pretty, pretty dominant performance at the net with two solos and
0: nine block assists. So, um He'll be trying to stop some Buckeyes. <laughs> stop. Ooh, Birch. I had him on yesterday in the morning for the volleyball mag piece. So, oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I just want to point out that your boy, Warren Davis, is he 6'10, 6'11? Nope. <laughs> he's Not even close. <laughs> <laughs> the six foot outside hitter who is a physics major. So, uh, he's using all his knowledge of angles and force <laughs> to his advantage yesterday. <laughs> well, he's got music. a
3: he's got a really unconventional arm swing and a lot of blockers end up picking the wrong spot and he comes in and he's real outside his body and has tons of range and oftentimes hits this really late ball that comes across down the line and uh man six foot but crazy effective
1: well here's the other here's a fact for you out of the top four or five teams Probably more than 50% of the pin hitters, front pin hitters, are less than six five, like six three, six four. Think about all the guys that are playing at that level, uh, and extremely well. Big bounces, big arms. Do you know what I mean? So we could name them off, but you're not seeing that. It's not dominated by a bunch of six nine guys on the pin. Do you know what I mean? There's a bunch of like mid sized guys doing some really great things
3: right now. That's a really great point, Dan. And why do you think that is? You think it's the speed of the offenses?
1: I think it's the speed, of, like, well, I need to recruit a couple more of those guys, but I think <laughs> yes. it's, uh, I think it's the speed of the offense for one. Uh, I think if you're talking about, you know, feet to the ball with great arms and ball control, and I, I think that's all part of it. you know what I mean? I think you'll have a Sonny here and there, or like a few of these guys that are big, but what, what's Ethan Champlin? How big is he? Six five.
3: six six one, six
1: two? Sure, short, of, yeah. So like, it's impressive to see how many of these guys are just dominating at the level and the speed of the game right now. Serving, passing, hitting, and good. What block. does
3: UCLA list him at, Rob? Six four. That's right. He is four. not six four. Yeah, that's right. Why, why he that is now. not six four.
1: Uh, you look at Hawaii; both their outsides. I mean, it's just like uh, it's pretty impressive. I think so.
0: so really yeah, yeah, Wardgate
1: is another one of those small guys crushing it. You know what I mean in terms of that. So,
0: Brad, did you have something to say there? I, I thought I. Yeah, you yeah. Out there, we uh, Yeah, I think the
2: other piece is, like, the serving and passing, obviously, is always going to be an important piece, but, like, the ability to manage some of these serves is becoming a skill, um, you know, and you see it, you know, you see it with Hawaii, you see it with um, UCLA, and, like, if you can fight off some of these gnarly serves, like, Stanford was bringing some ridiculous serves at UCLA, and they were fighting those serves off. Heno has been the best server in the country, and Hawaii was able to manage that and fight those serves off, and, and that's a, another piece of being a little bit smaller and having more ball control is helping limit those aces and be, be able to manage out
0: of system. Yeah. I have to correct myself. They list him at six, three. I gave him an extra inch for the good hair. there. So. okay,
3: there you go. He's actually six, two. He is legitimately <laughs> six, two. They're giving him six three.
0: <laughs> well, let's uh, on that, uh, on the, for King in the all-conference team, Warren Davis made first team, Kellen Kennedy, the six, six middle, Uh, second, and Justin Sawyer, their outside opposite, uh, made third team. So uh, great tournament, great upset by Ryan Boer and his King Tornado. Uh, Looking forward to seeing them in the opening round matchup. We'll talk more about that in detail as we get later. But let's jump over to the non-represented conference on the screen based on our coaches because Jay is officially gone. The EIVA conference tournament improved to 26-3. and What did you guys take away from that uh, EIVA championship matchup, Penn State, 3-0 sweep on Princeton, and pretty authoritatively. I think we all know why, but I'm going to let you guys talk about it, so uh, go for it. Who wants to take a stab first? I'll
2: I'll start this off, but you know, I came in, I wanted to see the Ben Harrington matchup. He's obviously Princeton's most accomplished pin hitter, and um, seeing them, and you know, Cal Fisher is small, right, undersized for a traditional right side opposite, and he helped them to hit negative, right, and and Ben Harrington ends up hitting negative because of Cal Fisher's block, you know, and even though he's, you know, not your traditional big old opposite, he's able to really be effective as a blocker. He's jumping really well. He's flying and getting across the net, you know, and then Pav and Colin have some good well-timed blocking subs, getting Kerr blocking in front of Harrington as well. So um, that was the matchup that really stood out and Obviously, Penn State did a really good job planning and preparing for Harrington uh, yeah. offense.
1: I think right, the other piece is uh, Wildman. Eight kills, you know, quietly kind of getting back into it a little bit. Uh, I think uh, people were worried about his production. You, you know you were going to get it from Cal Fisher. Uh, we know you're getting it from Bogner, but I think Wildman, you know, if he, if he can show up for them, that's a big piece. You know what I mean? I think he levels them out a little bit and spreads out the offense for sure. So, yeah.
3: Dan, last yeah. time they faced off in the in the tournament, it was early, right? Didn't they upset them? Not obviously it wasn't in the finals, wasn't it? It was like semifinals. Finals. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that last year, you know, Penn State may have been looking to the next round a little bit. Um this time around, it was it was obviously apparent that they were they were ready for the revenge game. Um, and brought their A game. I mean, right out of the gate, and you could tell that they were incredibly focused and um obviously the schemes that they put in place kind of like brad was talking about they did a really nice job uh and if you can shut harrington down i'm i'm sorry yeah you can shut harrington down it makes a really big difference um for princeton and do we know how did i didn't actually get to watch that match i was a little disappointed um what happened with nero don't know
1: i don't outside of rolling his ankle i thought the previous semifinals. i thought it happened i don't know yeah
0: Is oh. you know, you mean Toby?
3: No, no, no. Uh, for Princeton.
0: Oh, gotcha. Oh, yeah, but I'm not I sure. Maybe way. he didn't. You know what I mean? So.
3: Yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, it was it was, just, it was a little bit of a little bit of a bummer for it to not be a closer matchup. But I think you know we know who Penn State is. They're a great team, and um, I think they're poised to make a run deep in this NCAAs. And to watch something to watch with Penn State
2: is uh, Toby wasn't playing in this match. So I don't know what happened to him, or you know wherever he's at. Hopefully he's getting healthy and he's going to be ready to roll because I think we all want to see every team at their best. I think he
1: was in a boot on the sidelines if I if I if I saw that right. So. Uh-oh. really? Yeah,
0: yeah. It was an ankle roll, I believe, in the. One of the earlier matches, like uh, like one of the first – no, they had a bite in the semis, correct? So it was a semis. He he rolled his ankle, I believe, or had Brand, some – Brad, did you get to
1: watch that live, or were you watching the song?
0: No, I watched the on volumetrics. Okay. But uh, for that EIVA championship uh, or the – yeah, for the EIVA championship, MVP, Cal Fisher of Penn State. You have Cole Bogner, Brett Wildman, and Mich- Michelle Koval of Penn State all making the all-tournament team, along with Ben Harrington of Princeton and Alessandro Negri of NJIT. And of uh, the Fighting Jay Ma- Jay Hossics, Liam French of George Mason to round out that all tournament team. <clears throat> let's jump over to the Miva Championship where Ohio State rolls on in after a very uh, a subpar start, we'll say for Ohio State standards to start off the uh, this 2023 season. But great time to turn around for Coach Kevin Birch and the crew. But we'll let uh, let's let Dan start off since he's the closest and dearest to the conference.
1: Subpar, I don't know if I don't know what you're talking about. I think uh, Birch has been working on this group for the past few years, so it's good to they took a really nice step. I thought this season, uh, ironically enough, when they changed their setter, <laughs> uh, from an injury where the previous setter got blasted in the head and warm up lines, and then they had to play the other setter, if you know what I mean, in terms of that. And so, and then you saw him and Shane Welch go in, and that was really when they started on that 11 match win streak. And so, but I watched this match, um. You know, it was a battle game one, back and forth. Um, but I really did think Shane Welch was uh, has been a catalyst for them on balancing the offense with Jacob Pasteur. Uh, and then Jacob Pasteur to finish off the match in game four had some highlight reel swings that were just pretty pretty incredible. But uh, uh, I think uh, ultimately they kind of broke down Ball State on some serving stuff, and uh, it was pretty impressive. Michael had a couple of aces on T on the line on some big serves to break open game four twice uh and put themselves in a good position but uh you know Dona and that group had a great run at the end but uh ultimately uh Birch's guys were, were were ready to go
0: so yeah and you're referring to shane wetzel not welch correct sorry
1: sorry shane wetzel yeah shane <laughs> welch that was a redhead middle wasn't it yeah Yeah, <laughs> he
0: went to missouri baptist yeah Sorry. man brad what's in your memory banks dude people <laughs> All right, uh, let's go to Brad on this one, on the MIVA Conference Tournament. Yeah,
2: I mean, Ohio State continues to get better and better and continues to be cleaner. And I think the one piece that's really going to help them into the King match and, you know, obviously for Birch and everything, they're hoping to play more, but they're passing really, really well. And that passing is really helping them. You saw Cole Young had a big night, um, 10 kills on 14 attempts. If they can run the middle of the court and keep running um, Pastor on the BIC, they can beat anyone. They can definitely be there. And you saw it with that Penn state match. So if they're able to manage some of these serves and keep passing and keep them somewhat in system, some, they could, they could be a team to, to, you know, score an upset or really at any point in any of these matches, anyone can win. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, they're in a good spot um, to, to go and battle and go take a, take a run at it.
3: Yeah. Theo. Yeah, this Ball State team I think is is good, and offensively, the one thing that they lack is maybe a little bit of balance. Felt like Ohio State had a little bit more of a balanced offense, a little bit more diverse attack, and um, you know I, I felt the same way that Dan did, and that addition of Shane Wetzel and and what he's kind of brought to that offense has been a really really big deal. And where on Ball State's end, I think Tanashi hit two sixty five, and and would hit four hundred, and I think they got somewhere close to the offense that they needed from those guys, but outside of those two, it just felt like there wasn't a whole lot of production. Um, And unfortunately that seemed to be the difference in the match. I thought Ohio state really came to play and was the better team. It was pretty, uh, pretty awesome for them to handle it the way that they did. Um, That ball state team is good. Tough to beat. Yeah.
0: I was looking at the uh, release and Buckeyes have won the Miva tournament crown 18 times. The last was in 2018. Uh, it's their 22nd NCAA appearance in Ohio State history. So uh, great stuff for Coach Kevin Birch. Uh, all miva All Tournament team. Michael Wright was the MVP from Ohio State. As uh, the names have been dropping Jacob Passier, Ohio State. Shane Wetzel, Ohio State. Caleb Jenis at Ball State. Tina and Davis Acheva, Ball State. Michael Sack, Dan's guy from Lewis. And Kyle Wilson of McKendry round out the All Tournament team. So <clears throat> with that, uh, Actually, I wanted to also add Ohio State, probably the hottest team, one of the hottest teams going into the tournament, 11-to-match winning streak going in. I just happened to take a peek. like, wow. They took care of business after their last loss, which I believe was on March 15th against Ball <laughs> State. So um, trending up. I'd always want to be hot going into the tournament. <clears throat> Let's go over to the MPSF, and I, I don't think a lot of us were too shocked at the final result because, as Vinny Lopes said on the selection show, as expected. So – um ucla finishes season 29 and 2 but uh who wants to start us off about the mpsf a championship tournament discussion who's feeling the groove let's go with theo because these sure. courses to the la school so yeah yeah
3: yeah um yeah i you know i kind of agree with vinny uh not a ton of surprises here and you know i, I think I, I probably would have expected pepperdine to go a little bit further in this tournament Um, you know, I thought that it would be a little bit more of a battle between Grand Canyon and them, especially after seeing Jalen Jasper have 28 kills. And um, it did feel like he ran out of steam a bit at towards the end of that season and specifically towards the end of that match. Um, But you turn your, you turn your heads to UCLA and um, you know, every week I feel like we've talked about them on this show and uh, that team just continues to show who they are. And Ito David, I mean, that guy is just absolutely sensational, just fun to watch and and just really, really effective. He hit four. He hit five sixty five against Grand Canyon with 15 kills. And um, it just felt like he was unstoppable. I mean, it felt like watching a middle that was dominating a match. I mean, it's just they knew it was going to him. They couldn't stop him. Um, and then again, back to our small pin hitter talk, uh, Ethan Champlin the one guy who probably has been inside of that lineup consistently uh, day in and day out, uh, 12 kills hit 474 as a little guy representing for Dan friend. And uh, man, I mean, that team is just really, really good. And Andrew Rowan is everything that, that they need him to be and um, potentially making an argument for the reasons why Miles wasn't playing early in the year and for miles to make the decision that he made which was questionable early on. But, man, as we go down the stretch here, it's starting to feel like it was exactly what needed to happen and, and uh, that he probably wasn't going to play. So, man, what an exciting tournament, though, UCLA. Impressive finish. Yep. All right, let's go over to Dan.
0: Um,
1: well, I think the big match was the BYU-Stanford match.
3: You know what I mean? So, like,
1: yep. BYU's basically, you know, their opportunity to get in the tournament, they had to win that match. Uh, and they lose in uh, five, and, you know, what, Will Rotman had 26 kills, Uh, but nobody from BYU was really, like, stellar, like, you know, Mix had 10, hit negative, 13 kills for Luke at 310 was their best, but as a team, they hit 149, Uh, so I I think that was that. They were doing some really nice things. BYU was uh, towards the end of the year, and they just ran into that tough match against Stanford, Mm -hmm. and certainly that was a piece where it was like, hey, they needed to win that to get in, but not surprised with UCLA finishing it and UCLA is probably my pick you know to win it all I think you know uh, not saying that um I mean Hawaii's great and Penn State's doing some nice things but I think these guys are on a mission from last year for sure so good call close out with Brad
2: <clears throat> yeah that BYU Stanford match I, I I thought BYU was going to pull it out there and just find a way but Will Rotman continued to be Will Rotman and then Stanford in the final match like they lost in three but that was a gutsy three set loss. Like they, they threw everything out at it. They, they were going for it. And, um, and Kevin Lamp had some impressive serves. Rotman had some impressive serves and UCLA just kept fighting them off, fight them off for cycle and then set Merrick or set quick. And, and uh, it was a really impressive performance, especially if you look like Alex Knight hit under hundred. Ethan Champlin hit 286. Um, Rama hit 300 when they would sub him in. Ito David hit under 200, like, not the traditional performance you expect out of the UCLA pin hitters, but you see it with their middle hitters, Norris and Merrick McHenry, both in the 833 and dominating and getting um, 10 kills and five kills. So you, you see the balance and the diversity within the UCLA offense, which has been something we've talked about all year long and just the firepower that they've had. of When guys have off nights, they're able to have other guys step up and fill those voids. And Merrick has been doing it all year long for them. And he's been super impre- impressive. I think he got MVP, if I'm not mistaken, and and very yes. well-deserved yeah, he did.
0: Yep. Well, I wanted to go back to uh, Dan's uh, semifinal match between Stanford and BYU. But, man, Will Rotman's performance, he had 26 skills, but he hit 490. He had three aces. He was everything for the Cardinal. And – to see that performance out of him was actually pretty exciting. You could see the fire coming off of the screen if you're watching the stream because he just had it going. He was flowing. And I love seeing volleyball players are in the zone. It's like a Kobe performance, you know, just taking over. Well, so,
3: correct me if I'm wrong, Rob. That that was at Stanford, right? Yep. I think we're gonna we're gonna talk about the big west too, but I think that the home court definitely aided Stanford in that match, and then obviously Irvine. Eventually overpowering Long Beach, um, which I think definitely played a role.
0: Yep. Well, uh, the all tournament team for the MPSF tournament Merrick McHenry, MVP of UCLA, Andrew Rowan, and Ito David on there for the Bruins as well. Justin Louis, Will Rotman of Stanford, Heath Hughes of BYU, and Christian Janke of Grand Canyon to round out that all tournament team, which brings us to our final conference of the theo edwards segue into the big west conference tournament and you know i've had theo do the other conference well let's let him start this week and brad can be the uh mpsf rep so <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah i mean i can uh i could take this off um obviously the big west tournament was uh was some really great volleyball and it opened up with uh with san diego and santa barbara which um ended up go in the distance and and was a was a fantastic matchup um you know i gotta i gotta i got i wish i wore the hat today but i feel yeah, like I, I
0: realized i forgot, insult, it. I forgot to
3: absolutely <laughs> has to we'll be get spread. yours dan when i see you <laughs> you know i you know i think to a certain extent they had a few older players than brad did and when you when you when you really assess what kind of happened between those two teams i thought san diego played really well at times and um, Ryan Cobb was was electric at times and and uh, but uh, overall Ryan Wilcox and and that opposite uh, I'm drawing a blank on name, Brad. what's that Peruso. yeah you, you're gonna remember that name huh <laughs> oh yeah oh,
2: guy. I like him
3: <laughs> yeah he, he he really did a nice job and and kept hitting that line shot and, and San Diego really was struggling to get around to him but uh, just a really nice way to open things up and and then uh, we had to play those fighting anteaters and um, I thought UC Irvine was playing the best ball that they played all year, which is essentially what you want to be doing um, towards the end of the year. And, you know, at some point we're going to, for sure in this show, talk about the tournament and how it should be laid out and what teams are going to be going to the NCAAs and, um, you know, to have BYU and Irvine not in it is pretty sad, but at the same time, um, we'll get to that at a later date. Uh, but <laughs> Irvine knocking off, uh, Long Beach, I thought was, was absolutely, uh, kind of storybook type of ending to that season for Irvine. Um, you know, obviously this is a team that they lost to twice. They had them on the ropes. They were up 2-0 early in the, earlier in the season and, uh, got reverse swept after, uh, it looked like there was some knee issues right out of Gillis. Um, yeah,
0: they, he got pulled after the second set and then, uh,
3: yeah, and then they get reverse swept, but only to come back and and uh beat him in the fashion that they did. And um Hilary Heno, I mean, the way that he is serving the ball. I mean, Brad talked about this earlier. I mean, he's one of the best servers I've seen at the collegiate level. And and, you know, if he can continue to improve, which is just nauseating for me as a coach, um, I mean, I don't know where you go from here, but it's uh it's truly special what he's doing. And Obviously, you got Soni and, and the addition of Joe Carlo, who's, who's been fantastic from them uh, for them as an offensive, uh, you know, setter. I mean, this was just a fantastic tournament. And then, you know, obviously, it ends with Hawaii and Hawaii. Hawaii is Hawaii, and I'm incredibly grateful for Muculus uh, retirement and him leaving a little bit early. Uh, but that guy was electric, and especially when they beat UCI, I think he had 17 kills, hit 387. Um, just played really, really well. And uh, so anyways, good, good volleyball playing on the Big West.
0: All right, let's jump over to Dan, the non-Big West guy on the screen.
1: Well, I watched the Irvine-Long Beach and like, gosh, that guy was ridiculous. Like, and he, and Joe set him every ball, even maybe when he shouldn't have set him the ball, he still set him the ball. <laughs> uh, and he was still finding ways to get kills. It's like, there's no way he wasn't going to let him finish that game at the end. Uh, when he gave him the last couple balls from that standpoint, so but um, yeah, impressive in the semifinals by them, but I think in that final piece, like uh, I, I it, like it's it was a shame to see Irvine just probably run out of a little bit of gas. But we talk about the format and whether that's the best format to showcase our sport. Um, I, I like the format where it's Wednesday, Thursday, a day off, and then Saturday. Uh, it gives a little bit more, like, hey, we're getting the legs underneath them. Like, if the national tournament itself was ran back to back, I don't think our product would be great. um Now that doesn't take away. Hawaii was great in the final against Irvine. Did some really nice things. I think uh, Chaz and Demetria had 13 and 17 kills. Hoagland was 7 for 7. Hit a hit a blistering thousand or a hundred or whatever you want to say. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, but uh, and they blocked a lot of balls. Was it 34? Block assists, so uh, that's pretty impressive uh, against Irvine. So, uh, but hats off to Charlie and his group for uh, putting themselves in a great spot and nipping for a great season. Like Theo said, it's unfortunate we don't get to see a few more teams in the bracket, but I think that's how it's been for a long time. So the fact that we're even talking about hopefully expanding the bracket uh, is a good thing. So,
0: yeah, it was a 34 block assists for a total of 17 points. Yeah, that we saw a lot of that. So. <laughs> uh, Let's go to brad <clears throat> yeah no
2: it's it is kind of baffling to think about you know a team with some of the talents like sonny and Heno, that their season just ends you know and you can kind of tell like with how they played in that conference tournament they knew that they had to win the big west conference tournament in order to make it into the national tournament you know and it was cool to see how inspired those guys were you know night one against northridge night two against long beach and even night three against uh, against uh, Hawaii it was it was impressive performance you know by both those guys so I mean NIF did a great job with that team and um, really sad to see their season end there but um, unfortunately that's how it goes for for some of us yeah. um, and Hawaii just is playing really consistent and one of the pieces to watch and it's something we talk about a lot with Hawaii but their serving their serving is so steady and so consistent. It's not as volatile as UCLA or even Ohio state serving or Penn state serving, but they are serving in at a really, really high rate. I think at the championship, the big West championship, it was 15% air. So they're in about 85% of the time, which is a really good number to be in and be around. And that over time with their size and their defense, that's really well organized. That's tough to beat. And that's why they found themselves in a lot of these moments and a lot of these opportunities. Um, and then you compare that with Tela and Mucleus probably playing the best volleyball of their, their careers that I've seen. Um, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I just see this going to Hawaii and UCLA being a little, being the highlight event and the national championship match coming up here in a few weeks.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, everyone talks about um, Tela and Muklius and, you know, but I'll tell you who the unsung heroes are. They're middles, Voss and Cole Hoagland. Those guys come up with big plays, the biggest clutch moments, and come up with Kong blocks, one-on-one solos on big attackers, and uh, they're doing the same thing. They're just, they're available for Tella to set, and then you'd throw, you'd see Tella throw up a no-look, one-hand back set, you know, going against the grain to Hoagland, Hoagland's up, hammers it. Same thing with Voss. You know, they're they're totally out of system, shoots a quick back to Voss puts it away and just totally deflates the other team because you're like oh we got him out of system we're gonna get this point boom they put it away so uh and then uh, you've got Keone Thim coming off the bench hitting 77 stinking miles per hour off the jumper they had a radar gun on one side of the brand and both Sonny and Thim were hitting 77 plus like 72 and some change like 0.2 and 0.4 but Man, it was pretty amazing. And it is pretty apparent they are hitting the ball that hard because you'd hear the contact off the ball and you'd see how fast it traveled just over the net. So it's exciting, but in the end, Hawaii was just too strong um, because when Galloway had the match that he had and Mukulis was having the match he had, you're going to lose. You know, even Hawkins had an okay night, but he'd come up with big points down the bick, you know, in transition plays and, uh, of course, the blocking game, which, I mean, I hadn't seen Irvine get blocked that badly in, uh, some time. So third
3: Netflix. day in a row, Rob, third day in a row too much. <laughs> well, but let's go talk you, about it.
0: Let's talk Rob, about were turning talk, the formats. Were talking
3: about, uh, players coming off the bench, William Darcy. That is a name. I think we are all going to know in the future. And, uh, that's the opposite slash outside that Irvine brought in and was doing like a Three, four, five rotation tester for him. Um, obviously it looks like his ball control isn't quite there, but he's six ten and wow, impressive.
0: <laughs> well, Irvine was doing that that sub thing for a few rotations. I mean, it was watching the the chess match between coaches and watching Niffin just put in pieces to adjust to Long Beach that night was I I'm seeing like that active coaching on the Irvine side for some time, just because he had to make some adjustments with some missing pieces uh, due to injury or, or not available. But um, you know, Darcy is one of the pieces Dylan Jai coming in was another, then you had a, uh, our, our Bulgarian Stefan Vardagov, a beach player coming in to uh, play defense and serve. So uh, he's putting in some pieces there and trying them out. So, but that's going to be for next year. Uh, we're out. So uh. <laughs> we can have that on the, 2024 episodes of the uh, uh college volleyball weekly but um wanted to go into so, oh all tournament team first before i jump on there so ironically and i, and I want to get your guys thoughts on this uh, as we were talking i realized all the other conferences had tournament teams big west just did an mvp which was Jakob tella and that was it so um no all tournament team which is kind of a bummer because I'd, I'd like to give acknowledgement to the players i'm glad that there were some uh, some outlets online that were rewarding, you know, performances. Well, since
1: we have two Big West coaches here, why don't you give us some <laughs> insight to why you don't have an all-tournament team? I'd hate to guys, guy, so I'd hate I hate to give more guys awards, you know, that'd be horrible. So
3: that's a, that's <laughs> a really great question. I, I wonder if the other Big West sports do something like that because typically what we have been doing is mirroring basketball and some of these other sports and the way that they do theirs. Um, but I'd be surprised if, if basketball didn't have that. Um, seems kind of shocking that we don't have that. Brad, do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah. I
2: mean, I didn't even know about that until right now when Rob said it. So yeah. I don't have too much insight, but yeah, it'd be good to get some, get some shout outs and accolades for the guys.
0: Oh, we'll pick our guys. Give us
1: an answer sometime this summer after your league meeting. so
2: we can. I I haven't even had one yet. Theo, you haven't either. No,
3: we haven't. And we, Brad and I were talking actually uh, in between serving passes this past weekend that we do have some thoughts and some ideas, Um, you know, obviously us both being new head coaches and we've got some, some things that we'd love to see changed and we're kind of excited to uh, go to these meetings and, be the uh, young guys in the room
0: <laughs> shake things up so to speak
3: yeah definitely
0: um <laughs> uh, well let's go to those topics i mean we have diff- obviously difference in all tournament teams which is going to be to con- to be continued but also tournament format you know i had so um dan had his first match pretty much a week right after conference uh, his conference play ended and then they spread it over it was a, a total of like a five five days then because you had these semis on the thursday and then the finals on saturday so you had a few days rest in between no regardless saturday, the-
1: saturday wednesday saturday is how, how we currently do it but yeah
0: so and then mpsf was uh with tuesday thursday saturday wednesday thursday saturday wednesday, okay and then same with the uh, eiva they've spread it out over some days but um Benefit? Not a benefit for the three in a row? What's the better format for this level of play? And We'll go to you guys. We'll start with – we'll go to Dan first.
1: Well, I'm certainly not a fan of the three days in a row. I think you could be like, well, the first and the second seed get a bye. But it's like – I like how the MPSF does it a little bit better where it was um, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday. Is that correct? The MPSF one was – so, I do like that format a little bit better. I think all the other ones, nobody's playing three in a row, not even the national championship thing. So, like the at least got a day off in between. Uh, I think you know having one day off in between kind of levels of playing field, I think a little bit. So, like you still get the buy, you don't have to play the extra match, but I think that for the kids, it's a little bit better. So you're, there's no recreation of anything by going three days in a row. You know yeah, what I mean, like the ncaa tournament's not three days in a row. If we expand the bracket, it would never be three days in a row. You're always going to have a day off, so I don't know what precedent there is to do that outside of the fact that logistically, cost-wise, it's cutting down on some cost. But if you're one of the teams that goes home, you would go home after Wednesday or Thursday anyway, in terms of that. From that standpoint, and so uh, so that would probably be some our coaches can inquire more information about when they have their first league meeting as to why we are a, putting ourselves in that
0: in that spot. You mean know, in terms That's of. That. One-third of the conference right here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brad, how about your take? Yeah, no, I, I really like
2: the Miva setup just because you're always ending up with a host team hosting the match. Um, you know, and it worked out in this finals for the Big West and the NPSF that Stanford happened to be playing in the final um, and got the upset win over BYU, and then Irvine happened to be playing in the final with the upset win over Long Beach. And having that home team represented in that final match is so important, you know, and that's partially where the MIVA is just like locationally, like it doesn't make sense for the NPSF or the Big West to be able to do something like that with teams having to fly and having to travel. Um, But I do agree having that extra off day. And I mean, really, ideally, you want things to be as mimic to the NCAA tournament as possible. So however that formatting is, you want that to be as close to that as humanly possible. Um, but also you still have to take into account classes, you know, and we're in the middle of a, of a, a school year as well. So trying to manage that and work through that and, and kind of where can you take a little bit more time off or can you give a little bit more time for them to be in the classroom um, and keeping that balance is, is kind of the the nuances that, you know, Theo and I are still going to work through and figure out how to get that off day and still make sure we're checking all the other boxes
1: too. Yeah. All right. Thea us out.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, in in general, the way that this has worked in the past is obviously it's based on the travel, right? And so obviously the way the MIVA does it with the different host institutions, you have to have some time in there for travel and getting to and from. And I think in men's volleyball in general, it's always been reflective of budgets, um, travel, things of that nature. I do think that one of the things that's changed and the reason why the Big West is doing it the way that it is currently is money. Um, which has really not been a major factor for us in the past. But two years ago, three years ago, um, outrigger essentially was when they signed the contract to sponsor the Big West tournament. And there was a multi-year hosting by Hawaii. The last two seasons we've been in Hawaii for the Big West tournament. Um, And very, very uniquely, those matches, including the ones not played by Hawaii, were sold out. And so even the early matches were played in front of close to 5,000 people. Um, And it was the first time in talking to Charlie and getting this information from him, the first time that the Big West had ever made money on any conference tournament in any sport rather than lose it. Um, And I think it's really interesting because it's going to bring up a lot of discussion. You know, obviously, Irvine did a fantastic job in hosting this year. The viewership, I think, was roughly a 1,000 for the non irvine matches or the non-final matches. I'm not exactly sure how high they were at the end. Um, I would assume that from a financial perspective, we probably didn't make money. It probably didn't generate money as much as it cost. Um, So the question is probably going to come up, should Hawaii host again um, in an opportunity to not only make money, but it makes all of the travel and hotels completely free for all six teams? Um, yeah. and because the viewership in Hawaii is interested in watching, not just the Hawaii matches, you get an atmosphere that is truly electric for men's volleyball, um, every match. And as much as I would hate to have to go to Hawaii every year and give them that opportunity of hosting, I do think that money at some point for men's volleyball does become a factor as the community and, and the viewership continues to grow and we continue to want to monetize the sport.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, although UC Irvine hosted that at the tournament this year, UC Irvine did not have a home match because Hawaii came out in droves. And that place was so loud on the championship night, actually, even in the semi-night. I couldn't even hear my producer next to me talking to me instruct me what to do because they were just cheering so stinking loud all night, which is awesome. You got to hear what they're doing. And they're actually... Commenting on you know their their opponents play, they're like, oh, that was a great play by you know so and so. Like, wow, you're, you're actually cheering for the other team, and such classy fans. And they yeah. know the game, so um, um, um yeah, go ahead, Dan.
1: I just guess so, to give some like the meet may change formats too. Like, I really like our current format, but I think we added a ninth team into our conference, which changed our conference schedule, which takes another weekend away. Mm-hmm. So capturing that last weekend. And it won't happen in 24, but in 25, you may see us go to a like a different format in terms of hosting a Final Four or something like that. I, the, it has been nice for the top seat host because you always get a packed gym. You looked at Ball State's gym, it was packed, and we hosted a couple of times. We were sold out, you know what I mean? So it was always a nice thing because you were guaranteed that revenue and what was going on there a little bit. But uh, there's something to be said. Like, do you guys do a banquet with your Big West Tournament?
3: No, but that's something that we're going to definitely talk about.
1: See, I'm a big proponent, but if we went to a final four, like you need to have a banquet, give all conference awards out, do some celebrate. Do we know if the MPSF does?
0: I'm sure they don't. They're so understaffed. There's I don't a lot of so. people running it. Right. It's Side a note, I looked this up.
1: The Big West does have a men's basketball all tournament team, they have five guys. So it's precedent in your conference that it's happening. So somebody's decided to make the decision that. Uh, you were just doing a a player of the tournament, you know what I mean, MVP, which I, I think is a disservice to your your great athletes in your conference, you know what I mean, in terms of that.
0: So. She, I feel like Theo and Brad are going to this uh, Big West meeting, like in that scene in Step Brothers, where you have that job interview, we're here to, you know, expletive things up, they walking in tuxedos and stuff. Start... <laughs> is Theo. frozen, this is great, Do you know what I mean? He's thinking hard about it. <laughs> And I don't even want to go into the next discussion without Theo on there because it's such a, a key one, being that we do have our big news here. Um, let's see if he can uh, reconnect. I think uh, we're in another California brownout in the uh, Simi Valley, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Uh, he may be texting now. Nope, not him. Oh, so hey, you're back. Back. there it hey, is. Hey, got to miss go. missed the comment about you and Brad going into your first Big West meeting like in the Step Brothers movie when they go in for the, the job interview and we're, we're here to explode to... things up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's exactly how it's going to go. Brad, we have a lot of talking to do offline.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously yesterday, because we record on Monday mornings, was the NCAA selection show. And the uh, theme for it was as expected. So, uh, and I think that, there were some times during the season that we were questioning it because teams are really beginning to find their rhythm. We started seeing mm-hmm. some new players come in and make some names of themselves. But in the end, I wanted to get your guys thought on the selection show. I can do the, I wanted to throw this question first uh, uh, to you guys, but I noticed on the bracket, they only list the first two seeds on the PDF and the interactive, but they don't list the, the, the seedings of the other teams throughout it. Why is that? I mean, we can figure it out, but uh, it just was an odd little administrative thing. As I think it's the NCA's way
1: of not saying they uh, recognize the rest of the bracket because it's all playing games. So they'll recognize Ooh. the winners once they come through. But I think, as it's been quoted before, every round before the the semifinals isn't regularly recognized by the NCA uh, as tournament rounds. You know what I mean? They're just playing rounds to get to the final four. So I uh, would Ooh. be my guess with why they're doing that. So.
0: Uh so yeah, okay. there we go. There's the oracle of the uh, men's volleyball <laughs> right there. Dan friend the the future Gandalf of the sport. <laughs> he keeps that beer and gets it frosty. he'll be good um, if, but, I,
1: yeah. if i last twenty more years. so
0: <laughs> well let's let's look at the first bracket. So in in the opening or the play in first match on April thirtieth. um actually, I don't even know how to start this discussion, but Ohio State and King. Uh, so you have ohio state getting the automatic from Miva and king the automatic from conference carolinas right call or should we go right call for the whole selection show how should we do this guys what's the best way you think i i'll just give you
1: my thoughts on the whole thing how about that and
0: then we can just take even turns, better you know? then we'll we'll, we'll yeah. nitpick everyone else's yeah. opinion i thought
1: i thought the committee did a good job i actually thought it was it, not easy, but if you look at head-to-head on some of these competition stuff, like, I know people want to look, you know, GCU's on a losing streak, lost the last five out of the six, but if you go back and you look at the head-to-head, what they're supposed to look like, GCU had the head-to-head, you know what I mean? So it makes sense. And so I think the toughest seeding was probably number one and number two, uh, which I, I understand, you know what I mean? But both of those got a buy. I, I think, you know, could Penn State be in the mix? Uh, possibly, so I think that that might have been the toughest part, I think it would. But with everything else, you know you knew Long Beach was going to be in. You knew GCU had the head to head on a couple other teams that they were looking at uh, in terms of that uh, Ohio State was right in terms of where their seating was right. King was right. So I, I think they did a pretty good job. I actually thought out of the years, it was actually set up for them to do a pretty decent job. Do you know what I mean in terms of that? It doesn't mean that if you're Irvine, you're not a little bit disappointed or if you're BYU, you're not a little disappointed, but when you lose head to head to the team that got in in front of you, I mean, and twice, both of them at that, I think it's pretty easy uh, to figure out who that team was from that standpoint. And I don't think anybody else outside of that played a strong enough strength of schedule. You know, whether you look at Ball State or Loyola, uh, Stanford didn't have the wins. I mean, all the other teams that might have been in the mix, that might have made a, a bigger field tournament. So uh so compliment to those guys. They did a nice job. Uh, and I'm excited uh, for the level play that we're going to get to see next week.
0: Yeah. All right, let's go to, let's go uh, to Brad. Yeah, no, it's scary to think
2: about because what Irvine and Grand Canyon played back in February,
0: you know, and so as
2: you're scheduling out your season, you're looking at that match and, you know, I think both they all knew they'd be good teams, but, you know, looking at that and losing two and a doubleheader at Grand Canyon, you're just like, ah, like so close. If you split there, then that completely shifts the perspective for the committee. But I I thought the community nailed it in terms of um, seeding, in terms of everything. To me, the toughest call was Penn State or Hawaii getting the number two spot. And and what got weird there was just because Penn State had beaten Hawaii, but I think Hawaii had the better overall resume um, and kind of everything was better on the whole. Um, With that five-set loss, Penn State losing to Ohio State, it's probably what kind of was the difference maker there um, from Hawaii getting the notch <clears throat> above Penn state. But I think it, I think it works out well to exactly where everyone should be. And you get to see the grand Canyon long beach match. That'll be very entertaining. And the Ohio state King match will be another entertaining match too, to kick it all
0: off. Yeah. Let's go over to Theo.
3: <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I really think that this was easy. Um, I, Dan kind of, noted to this a little bit, but I think that the layout and just how everything played out towards the end of the year, it made it really simple. And I thought the committee hit it on the head. They got it right for sure. Um, I think it's interesting when you look at the bracket itself, man, that road for Ohio state and King, I mean, it's like, I mean, you got to commit murder essentially to get towards the end of this final four run. Um, I mean, if you, if you beat King or, or if Ohio state beats King or King beats Ohio state, you end up playing Penn state. And then if you beat them, you got to play Hawaii. Like, wow, that is, that is quite the, uh, that's quite the, the road to get to success. And then on the other side, I, I, I compliment on Brad, what Brad said to have Long Beach and Grand Canyon go up against each other. And both of those teams coming off of a loss, I think that's actually really exciting. Um, is going to lead to a, a really, really exciting match to watch. So, I think this tournament's going to be awesome. Really, really wish it was bigger. I say that every single year, but uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. Shoot, anything else? To add, gentlemen,
1: I would only add, and there's no way to do this, but if Ohio State and Penn State weren't on the same side, if like Ohio State gets past King, like it would be neat to see if that was broken apart a little bit whether it was like gcu versus penn state and ohio state versus long beach whether you had, you couldn't really do it because of how the seedings are but it certainly changes the geographic piece in terms of teams competing but we see that a lot of times where like ohio state and penn state have played three times or whatever it is you know what i mean so they end up playing again uh so that would have been the only piece but i don't know how there was any way to really do it in that in that instance so
0: wasn't there a time in the uh, men's volleyball history when it was just literally Eastern teams versus Western teams, with the, the the center line being pretty much the MIVA team conferences, like back when it was the Weva in the like early '90s or so, and then they'd meet because I remember teams like Javier Gaspar and I ain't going old school on you, you know, yeah, well, even human
1: When Jay's not here, and here's your resident. You know, 60 year old, it doesn't do us any good. You know what I mean? And so he would be the kind of able to clear that up for us. So maybe you could ask him later uh, when you talk to him. So, uh.
0: a resident dinosaur. Yeah.
1: So he'll love that.
0: We're throwing salt. He's not even on the screen right now. (laughs) He's probably listening in while he's doing his All American call. (laughs) What (laughs) are you talking about? Well, actually, you know, Miss Theo being Mr. Segway here because what would this look like this year if it were a 12-team bracket? So we want to get your guys' opinions because I know that's one of the discussions I've been monitoring on um Volley Talk and just even after it's like, oh, man, this tournament would be better if we had more teams, and especially with the, the level of talent that we've seen across the nation this year. But want to get your guys' thoughts. So uh, who feels like they want to take the, uh, the first stab at that one?
3: Dan, why don't you start? Well,
1: so we got the seven teams that are in. Do we take an NEC rep? And an SIAC rep, or do we just say, "Hey, we're going to take five more"? So you got Long Island because well,
0: IVA too is because Lincoln Memorial played. I know that was a team that got mentioned in the in the discussion too. But let's yeah, just, but at let's, no let's, point are they going to get. But no, I I got
1: it. But at no point are they getting an AQ. Let's say you'd have Long Island in. They got the AQ, and you got uh, Edward, Edward Waters got Lawyer. the AQ, and then you have uh, three more at larges, right? Kayak two. Right, no, no. Edward Waters a SCIEX. Sorry, oh, Edward that's right. Yeah, Stuyck. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, I would put in UCI, BYU, and Ball State. Okay, solid so choices there. My, my other three right now. So, I guess you could make an argument for Loyola, but Ball State made the final uh, in terms of that, and so, uh, but uh, that would yeah. be my three. Yeah, so I, those would be the three
2: that you're missing. You know, I think it's, yeah, it'd be between Ball State-Loyola, and I don't know enough, you know, i I defer to you there, Dan. But, um, and then where it gets really fun is then, you know, you're looking at a matchup where it's Edward Waters versus Grand Canyon, you know, or uh,
1: Long Beach. they are going to regionalize this thing. So I think what you see is three te- six of the teams with two regions out, I got East and the Midwest region, and then I think you have two California regions. So they, what ends up happening is your final four will look the same it did five or six years ago where you got two West Coast and two uh, east of the Colorado you and so you'll have that final four. I don't think they're going to fly people across the country to figure it out. They're going to regionalize those uh, those 12 teams. So you got to keep that in
0: perspective. No, Good insight there. Theo? Yeah.
3: yeah, I mean, I, I look at how that bracket would shape up. And I think it makes sense. Although once you get to 12, like why not just go to 16? And I know that's not how it works, but just from a logistical perspective of what matches need to be played and how much you have to stretch that championship, you could easily go to 16 and the cost for the NCAA in terms of the host sites and things of that nature, I don't know that it changes all that much. And, you know, I, I look at some of these other sports and, and, you know, obviously we always want to look back at what basketball does and, and the sweet 16s and the elite eights and, and watching those stages progress. That's the marketability for our sport. And you look at the way that the bracket lays out currently, and even though it's, it's, it's fantastic teams and the competition is going to be great, it's not as marketable when you look at the bracket and the way it stretches out with all these different buys and how you have to get to the different roads and it's just ugly. It's ugly. And at the end of the day, like Dan said, the reasons they don't even want to show some of these matchups on there is because they're playing games. They're not even real games. And so to get us to a 16 or a, a marketable place where you can actually host this tournament and have it have all of the legitimacies of basketball or some of these other big time sports is just really a shame because the I think the game is good enough. The sport, the play, all of that is good enough. We just need a platform. And I think that the NCAA is missing this. They've missed it for many, many years, but now it's finally at a place where there's such good volleyball on all sides of the country that it just, it just feels, it feels heartbreaking, it feels wrong that this isn't bigger than it is. Yeah.
1: Hey, was because, that your pick though? Did you have any picks? You gave us the
3: I I my I, you know, Ball State is the questionable one for me. Um I definitely BYU use and and uh Irvine are are absolutes. Ball State would be the tough one. I could I could see the argument for Ball State. I could see the argument for Loyola. I could see the argument for for Stanford. Um but yeah, I, you know, either way, I think you get to 12 and it's, you're a lot happier that uh, there wasn't a team that at least is in the conversation that's left out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And well, then Rob, you'd asked me about bracket expansion. I think the the meeting is coming up sometime uh, here in late spring um, with the budget committee through the NCA. There was a proposal put together to expand the bracket to 12 teams. Uh, it got passed in concept in the first stage and then it has to go to the budget. So as much as steel wants 16, and I think it's great too, we're going to be pretty happy if we just get to the 12 uh, and whether that actually goes through or not, we'll find out this summer, I think, in terms of that. Uh, but I do think that format's a regionalized format where, you know, this weekend you'd be seeing that um, one team get a buy, the two teams play, and then they play the other one there in terms of that. But the one thing about that, that's good is that, Doing 12 sets you up to do 16, Theo. So I think it's right. Like if we but we have to have the numbers to back it. So I think getting this first expansion and seeing the growth and see us continuing to grow. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few years down the road, we're continuing to get to 70 or 80 teams, it allows you to to, to kind of take that next step, which would be good.
0: Yeah. All good discussion points. But I have to throw this blind side question towards you guys because I think it's it's something I run into every year. And as a volleyball fan, You've got the men's indoor championships coinciding with the collegiate beach championships with both sports are growing at such an exponential rate. I feel like we're stealing fans from both sides. Um, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on on that competition. I know maybe – Timing and logistically, maybe it won't be possible to do it. But I, I, I feel like that you're pulling away from each other's fan base to follow the game. But I could be wrong. But I want to get your guys' thoughts. So uh,
1: you're a hundred percent right. And I think we want to push the championship to a week later. So, I mean, I think that the conversations I've had with some other coaches is like, it'd be nice if we could start a little bit later, like a week or two, and we weren't bringing our kids back December twenty seventh. Like, hey, I'm not going to bring them back till January second, third, or fourth, and you didn't play your opening games till like. The Martin Luther King weekend or something like that, and our championships got pushed back another week or two, or something like that, because I think that would it'd be better for our kids. It would save programs money in terms of bringing kids back earlier. We'd get our championships off the beach weekend. And so uh, certainly something that has been brought up and voiced rather loudly. and it's just a matter, of can we take the steps to move the championship a little bit forward in terms of that? something that hopefully I can help continue to move forward, I think, in terms of where that needs to go.
0: Yeah. Brad or Theo, anything else, Ed?
3: Yeah, I think that's absolutely the right move. I mean, you move it a week later. I think it, it it obviously allows you to showcase both, but I also, you know, the way I view this, this should not be an us against them type of approach. And you look at when the university games are played or the Olympics are played, you can have beach volleyball and indoor playing around similar times, but being conscious of marketing both uniquely and staggering matches so that viewership can tune into both i think it could be a really really exciting time and it can be marketed that way um i don't know that it has to be completely individualized um but yeah i think i think you move it one week it helps it doesn't help from a you know obviously a physical butts in seats perspective probably tough to travel to both but i think from a viewership it definitely does the job
0: yeah all good stuff um i wanted to end our lengthy discussion today but you know obviously with a lot of news and jay wasn't even here so it would have gone at least an extra hour if jay was here but <laughs> <laughs> just kidding jay much loved you i have to salt the one when you're not on here but i'm um, so working the big west tournament this weekend i wanted to give a uh, huge props to all the coaches that are on our panel each week uh it's brad dan theo and jay when he decides to show up when from golfing but um like literally i had handful of people from each school represented at the big west term and say we listen to the podcast love the coaching panel those guys are giving doing such they're killing it uh and but hawaii definitely took the cake because i had a a, a woman walked up to me uh definitely not in her 30s and pushing probably more towards 80 walk up to me who's probably about four foot five and you know pull down on my shoulder say something. Cause he had a mask on and I'm like, I can't, am sorry. I can't hear. He's like, I love your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm like, no, it's the coaches that make it happen. And so I appreciate all your guys insight. And there are people really listening. we've been seeing uh, a lot of comments and, and even kids as young as like 13, which I'm sorry if we go non-family friendly at times, but, um, they're listening in. So, uh, Uh, Thank you guys for what you're doing, and uh, looking forward to our next episode. Which I think I need to talk to you guys. I don't know. We may skip next week because there's not a whole bunch to talk about until after the matches are played. I would say we
1: do the post championship, yeah, after that.
0: So, so we'll we'll, we'll probably skip the week as a uh, we'll be NCAA's or watching NCAA's, and we'll have some stuff to talk about. Reminder on April 30th, Jay and I are going to be on the King Ohio State match and also the two opening round matches. long beach state and grand canyon and then penn state versus the winner of ohio state and king which are all going to be on espn3 not um espn plus which i originally posted so and then from there after the semis Good luck, rob to- with jay i just want to say that right now Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go semis to ncaa.com and then the finals on espn2 on may 6th at 5 p.m i believe that is eastern i didn't indicate on the thing but so from espn three to nca.com to espn2 uh, that's kind of confusing but want to make sure everyone knows that it's available for viewing all right so brad of ucc San Diego, dan of lewis and theo of csun thanks for jumping on board we'll see you in two mondays yeah